0: Africa, Rise and Shine. Africa, Zorta, so Africa, Amika, Na Unai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa and on double one nine two five kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Solohoko, and In our top stories on Africa, Rising, and shine at the sour. Burundi issues arrest warrant for the country's former president, Pierre Buyoya, and South Africa's President presidential, Ramaphosa, hails G20 meeting held in Argentina. In economics news, China and USA agree to a ceasefire in their bitter trade war. And in sports news, South Africa considers hosting the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka.
2: thank you lulu good morning burundi's attorney general silvestre nyandwi has issued 17 international arrest warrants for former senior military and civilian officials for their suspected involvement in the assassination of the country's first democratically elected president Melchior Ndadaye, in 1993. among the suspects includes former burundi president Pierre buyoya The move came few days after four retired army officers were apprehended by Burundi authorities suspected for the same accusations. Nyandwe made the announcement at a press briefing.
3: On the 24th of November 2018, the public prosecution arrested four suspects accused to have been involved in the assassination of His Excellency Mekion the first democratically elected president of the Republic of Burundi. During a press briefing, we announced that there are other people involved in this crime who are still wanted. Intelligence tips already available reveal the following persons may have been involved in this crime, in its planning and in its implementation. The public prosecution therefore considers it imperious that they be questioned about the role
2: they would have played in these tragic events. Meanwhile, Burundi's former president, Pierre Buyoya, has denounced as politically motivated a warrant issued against him for his alleged role in the assassination of his country's first democratically elected president. Buoya is currently the African Union's representative in Mali and a respected figure on the continent as well as abroad. He stepped down in 1993 when Dadai, a Hutu, was elected, but Dadai was killed just four months later in an attempted coup by hardline Tutsi soldiers. The incident led to several years of civil war between the two ethnic groups in which an estimated 300,000 people died. Malawi has passed a law that will ban politicians using cash payments and other incentives to buy support ahead of key polls due in May next year. The Political Parties Act, which came into force on Saturday, will see candidates convicted of improperly swaying the electorate face, line, face fines of up to 13,600 US dollars or five years in prison. Campaign materials, including posters, leaflets, and clothing, will be exempt from the new law. Malawi goes to the poll in presidential parliamentary and council elections on may 21 next year and candidates at every level have typically used cash payments and gifts to secure support in advance of past votes nigerian president muhammadu buhari has quashed a rumor stemming from his ill health that he had died and been replaced by a lookalike imposter from sudan 75-year-old Buhari, who is seeking re-election next year, spent a large part of 2017 in London for treatment for a serious illness which has never been revealed to the public. A lack of specific information about the illness and a reduction in public appearances have fed speculation about his well-being. Claims about the president's identity emerged a month after Buhari returned from another lengthy medical trip to London. Those pushing the rumor were known critics of the president and his government. The United Nations mission in South Sudan has condemned a series of sexual attacks on women and girls. The mission has called on the government to hold the perpetrators to account. The BBC's Will Ross reports.
4: The head of the UN in South Sudan, David Shearer, described the attacks as abhorrent and said it was the responsibility of the government to stop them. He called on the armed forces to guarantee command and control over all their troops, which suggests government soldiers might have been involved in these sexual assaults. When Médecins Sans Frontières said on Friday it had treated 125 victims, including girls under 10, pregnant and elderly women, the Minister for Information in northern Liech state denied the attacks were happening on such a scale. The UN is confirmed confirming the appalling sexual assaults did take place and says they must be stopped.
2: And finally, farewell events for late former U.S. President George H.W. Bush will start this morning with a commemoration in Houston, Texas, where the Bushes lived for many years. The 41st U.S. President passed away on Friday at the age of 94. His casket will then travel from Houston to Washington on board the presidential aircraft. Bush will lie in state in the U.S. Capitol between today and Wednesday, ahead of his state funeral at the National Cathedral on Thursday. Many World leaders will join current U.S. leader Donald Trump and his wife Melania at the state funeral. Bush will be laid to rest later on Thursday at the George Bush Presidential Library in College Station, Texas. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaka.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zorga. Africa, amuka na
4: unay.
1: Burundi's Attorney General has issued 17 international arrest warrants for former senior military and civilian officials for their suspected involvement in the assassination of the country's first democratically elected president in 1993. Among the suspects include former Burundi's President Pierre Buyoya. Now the high representative of the African Union for Mali and the Sahel, Bernard Bankukira, reports from Bujumbura.
4: That is Burundi's Attorney General, Sylvester Nyandwi, reeling off the names of 17 former senior military and civilian officials suspected to be involved in the planning and execution of the killing of the first democratically elected president, Mekion Dadaye, in 1993. In a press briefing later Friday, the Attorney General told journalists that the move is subsequent to intelligent tips that the suspects may have been involved in the assassination and thus imperative to hear them. Here is Sylvester Nyandwi, Burundi's Attorney General.
3: On, that 24 November 2018, On the
4: 24th of November 2018, the public prosecution
3: arrested the four suspects accused to have been involved in the assassination of His Excellency Mekion Dadae the first democratically elected president of the Republic of Burundi. During a press briefing, we announced that there are other people involved in this crime who are still wanted. Intelligence tips already available reveal the following persons may have been involved in this crime in its planning and in its implementation. The public prosecution therefore considers it imperious that they be questioned ...about the role they would have played in these tragic
4: events. Among the suspects include former Burundi-Tutsi president Pierre Buyoya, ...who is now the African Union High Representative for Mali and the Sahel. In the opinion of many Burundians... Buyoya, who ruled the country from 1987 to 1993 and from 1996 to 2003, is seen as the ringleader of the 1993 coup plot. He has always denied any role in the killing. Besides Buyoya, the wanted includes cabinet members of Buyoya's government and retired senior army officers. All the suspects reside outside Burundi. The Attorney General says international warrants of arrest ...have been issued for a possible extradition to Burundi for prosecution. Again, Burundi's attorney general.
3: As they are
4: not on the Burundian territory, we have
3: just issued international arrest warrants... ...so that countries hosting them can arrest and extradite them to Burundi in order to face justice. We urge politicians not to obstruct the ongoing investigations through ambiguous speeches... We urge them instead to cooperate with the prosecutor in the ongoing investigation. We are happy to realize that everyone needs the truth to come out. It is thus necessary that the truth be revealed on this case and such a serious crime be repressed so that we turn this dark page of the history of our country and so that this assassination doesn't continue to hurt the hearts of Burundian people.
4: The decision comes a week after four retired senior army officers were arrested on October 24th this year in Bujumbura for allegedly being among masterminds in the killing of President Dadae. The African Union is yet to comment on the decision. However, in a statement issued the day after the decision of Burundi's Attorney General to issue an arrest warrant against the former President Pierre Buyoya, the chairman of the African Union Commission has asked the Burundian authorities to refrain from taking measures, including judicial, likely to hamper the settlement of the current crisis. Mekion Dadai was the first Hutu to rule the country and the first democratically elected president in a historic presidential poll on June 1st, 1993, which the Tutsi Piaboyoya lost. Sonin on July 10th that year, President Dadaya was assassinated just three months after in a bloody coup attempt Mounted by the then Tutsi minority army on October 21st 1993, his assassination sparked ethnic violence that spiraled into a decade-long civil war, which claimed more than 300,000 lives and forced hundreds of Burundians in exile. As the country was struggling to recover from the scars of this civil war and rebuild social and ethnic cohesion, the 2015 crisis came to spoil all hopes. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Kira reporting from Bujumbura.
1: South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa has hailed the G20 meetings in Argentina a success. In an interview with SABC News, the President renewed his warnings on the threat of protectionism and said he was proud to fly the flag for the whole of Africa at the talks. The two-day summit was plagued by disagreements, but world leaders managed to find enough consensus to agree on a joint communique.
5: Kate Fisher reports. As the only African country with a permanent seat at the G20, President Cyril Ramaphosa says he feels a responsibility to the entire continent.
4: South Africa always seeks to fly the African flag, not only our flag as a country, because we believe that our interests, both economic, political and social, are intricately linked with the interests of the African continent. Which we are very much a part of. So we are proud to be a member of the G twenty, but we are also aware that we have a huge responsibility to take the continent along with us in everything we say and in everything that we do.
5: That needs been reiterated by Africa specialists like Jamie Furby. He's here to analyze Rwanda's contribution to the G twenty president Paul Kagame scoring a place in this year's lineup as a representative of the African Union.
6: I think that in general the G20 likes to make a big fuss about the fact that it represents 80% of the world's economy etc but in reality they don't really listen to to smaller countries like Rwanda.
5: Mr Ramaphosa agrees that's wrong. He's championing support for the developing world and had strong words for countries who are looking inward.
4: There should be no protectionism and trade should be open. There are countries that are trying to destroy the multilateral system. A
5: thinly veiled criticism of the American president, perhaps. Here's G20 research group analyst Elena Marine. In my
7: interpretation, I think in, in most of the other leaders' interpretation, the main issue is Donald Trump. Uh, you actually see the, the G20 leaders uh, kind of united against the United
5: States. Nowhere is that more clear than on climate change, where the U.S. remains the only country to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. President Ramaphosa has hailed this summit a success for South Africa. But on some of those big subjects, like climate change, trade and migration, there remain large differences amongst his fellow G20 leaders. Kate Fisher, Buenos Aires, Argentina.
1: South Africa's opposition party, the EFF, says it is considering legal action against the investigative journalism centre, the Amabungani. This relates to a story that a fleet company that won the city's one billion rand contract allegedly made payments to a company linked to EFF leader, Julius Malema. Ndebo Mukobo has more.
8: The latest revelation against the EFF and its leaders follows less than two months after details that its deputy president, Chibambo benefited from the looting of the VBS bank. In Johannesburg, it's alleged the DA-led council has awarded a tender for vehicles to a company linked to EFF leader Julius Malema in Shibambo. It's alleged the 1.2 billion rent fleet contract was originally granted to Avis, but was later awarded to afri which is allegedly used as a slush fund for the EFF. But EFF spokesperson Bui Nintosi says this is another attempt to discredit the party.
9: The story itself makes my admission not to have any evidence of illegality and irregularity, at least in relation to the black young business peoples that are linked to the president of the EFF. That's number one. They that do not have any evidence in relation to any money that is moving to the EFF. And therefore, we would like to dismiss it as yet another attempt to discredit the EFF based on gossips that have no evidence whatsoever. And we dismiss it with the skunk it deserves. We've taken legal advice on the possible legal action either through the courts or the ombudsman because it's a smear campaign.
8: But Amapungani has dared the EFF to take it to court. It's journalist Mike Harreri says they're unfazed and are standing by every aspect of their story.
9: We're unfazed and obviously stand by the story. So they're entitled to their rights if they want to take legal action. I would urge people to read the story and read the story very cautiously. We don't say things that we can't sustain. It's it's very cautiously worded. You'll see all implicated parties had ample opportunity to respond to all the allegations and to uh,
8: provide evidence to that effect. Meanwhile, Tobek Mayor Heman Mashabe has since commissioned a forensic investigation into these allegations. Mayoral spokesperson Luanda Mfeka says the investigation will be led by former Hawks Houtembo Shadrach Sibia. He says its outcomes will be released in the coming weeks.
3: The matter must be investigated, particularly in so far that there were claims or allegations of, of possible collusion within the tender process for that fleet. That investigation is already underway. Um, and the city hopes to be able to release conclusive findings on on that particular matter in the next couple of weeks.
8: But the ANC in Johannesburg says it is strange that the DA, which is in coalition with the EFF, issued the contract and now wants the public protector to investigate. ANC's Johannesburg spokesperson Jolidi Matongo explains.
3: We have been concerned over a period of time about the fleet contract in the city. We had raised questions about why the fleet contract due to be awarded to Avis was cancelled. There was no clear reason why, but also we have asked about why the such a huge contract had to be given throughout the Regulation 32 without following a competitive bid process. No answers were forthcoming. We think that there, there is something improper with the award of this particular contract.
1: That's Jolidi Matonga, spokesperson for South Africa's ruling ANC in Johannesburg Ending that report by Ndebo Mugobo
10: Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times. Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time. And from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African Time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African Time. The Albinism Report. An enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective.
1: Let's go back in time to today in 1967. South African Dr. Chris Barnard performed the world's first human-to-human heart transplant in Cape Town. This extraordinary event, which pushed the boundaries of science into the dawn of a new medical airport, took place at Groteskir Hospital. Louis Washkansky lived for 18 days with the new heart. Today in History, 1967. A recent report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warns that urgent climate action is needed if the world is to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. As world leaders are gathering in Katowice, Poland, for the 24th Conference of Parties to discuss how countries can achieve the goals of the Paris Climate Accord, the Food and Agriculture Organization has issued a warning about the widespread impact of climate change on food production. Alex Jones is FAO's Climate Division Director.
11: Well, the agriculture sector is huge, and a lot of people don't realise it. Uh, Our calculation is that agriculture accounts for 24% of all greenhouse gas emissions, which puts it in the second place behind energy and ahead of transport, which gets a lot more attention. Of course, I have to qualify that by saying that by agriculture, we intend the full agriculture, land use, forestry, uh, fisheries sector. So it's quite broad, but it's huge. It's, it's, it's one quarter of the total.
12: And so what impacts are we already seeing climate change have on food production and agriculture sectors
11: now? Well, there are pretty widespread impacts, and this goes all across the world. What's been interesting this last summer was with the droughts, it's had a big impact on Northern Europe, which had never seen this before. And even though, of course, Northern Europe has some very good coping strategies, it's brought it a lot of attention. In bigger numbers, uh, we know that the state of food insecurity this year highlighted the fact of climate change as being one of the big triggers in the increase in hungry people up to the the scary figure of 821 million. So it's showing up at the macro level in the data. It's showing up all over the world in increased uh, occurrence of uh, extreme weather events and in gradual events such as desertification in the Sahel. So it's pretty much all over the place. We can see it.
12: And which regions and communities would you say are being hit hardest?
11: Well, obviously, the ones that are hit hardest are the ones that have the least coping strategies, the least ability to deal with it. I mentioned Northern Europe. Obviously, they have very good strategies, government support, resilience, bank accounts. When we look at the opposite side, we look at Central Asia, we look at the Corridor Seco in uh, in Central America, we look at the Sahel these are areas that have very few coping strategies and few resources to deal with it. So it's not just who is being hit the hardest, it's the impacts of that hit and how they have a capacity to deal with it.
12: And what impacts can we expect to see with a warming of more than 1.5 degrees Celsius?
11: You're referring, of course, to the IPCC report which just came out. Well, consider that we're already living in a plus 1 degree centigrade report, and um, the forecasts are of a 1.5 uh, and it'll be very hard even to stop at a 1.5. We know that. The report made it very clear. Once again, extreme weather events, gradual um, gradual desertification, um, slight increased sea levels. The main thing that we're seeing is increased climate variability, difficulty in predictiveness, which for us in the agriculture sector is, is devastating. Other sectors are be better able to adapt, but agriculture relies on the predictability of climate, and this is becoming harder and harder. Of course, when we project that onto a plus 2 degrees centigrade world, which, as you know, is the maximum target of the Paris Agreement, that's exponentially worse. And I do need to point out that we're actually on a trajectory for a plus 4 degrees centigrade world.
12: Which would be devastating. Absolutely. And as the global population grows, we're going to have to produce more food than ever before and at the same time reduce the sector's greenhouse gas emissions. How do we do this? How exactly can we achieve that?
11: Well, I think it's entirely possible. We have the technology to do it. The question is uh, finding the resources to make it possible. Our estimate in FAO is that we need to increase food production by almost 50% before 2050 uh, without uh, extensifying, without bringing too much new land into production. And in fact, we probably have to set aside more land for carbon sinks in the form of forests or peatlands. So there's a lot of work there. Once again, we have all the technology necessary in terms of better water use, better land management, improved crop varieties, and improved agricultural practices. Uh, We need to mobilize the political will and the financial resources to make it happen.
12: And in terms of adaptation, how can we adapt our food systems to a warmer world? What can farmers do, for instance?
11: Well, let me comment something on that. It's not adapting to a warmer world. It's adapting to a continuously warming world. Even if we cap our emissions, uh, what we call the top of the curve and flatten it today, uh, we will have about a 100 years of increased warming due to, that's how long it takes for carbon dioxide to deteriorate. Uh, so it's how do we build a system which is resilient and able to adapt continuously, not at a higher level, but at a continuously increasing level. Once again, uh, I think a big picture of that is biodiversity. Uh, we need better gene pools and diversity to tap into for for better breeding. Uh, we need the diversity for resilience, we need better cropping systems, we need better water use. Uh, There's a lot of slack in the system. Just to to mention a figure that many people know well, uh, almost one-third of all food is currently wasted or lost. Already by reducing that, we could eliminate world hunger. So the slack in the system is huge, and we come back once again to political will and resources to make it happen.
12: What would be the sort of easy, obvious way of reducing emissions quickly in in the agricultural
11: sectors? The most obvious quick candidate is in livestock. Uh, Livestock value chains account for about half of all agricultural emissions, especially cattle. We currently have the technology to reduce that by one third. Literally, we could do this tomorrow if the money is available once again. So uh, another quick win there is that these livestock emissions are largely methane. Methane is 21 times more powerful in terms of uh, heat trapping than CO2, but it only has uh, an atmospheric life of about 10 years. So if we could reduce methane, we could reduce very quickly in 10 years without waiting 100 years for CO2. So that's a quick win.
1: That's Alex Jones, Food and Agriculture Organization's Climate Division Director, speaking to FAO Radio, Charlotte Lomas. It's a twenty-six Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. What's it really like to be a victim of child trafficking? The founders of nonprofit Street Art for Mankind, that fights child trafficking using art from around the globe, are trying to provide the answer. The exhibit called Unji, made its way to UN headquarters in New York last month, bringing art, sounds and smells to help visitors gain insight into the issue and contribute to ending trafficking for some 150 million victims worldwide. UN radio's Natalie Hutchison attended and filed this report. The pair are
7: co-founders of Street Art for Mankind, that's a nonprofit organization that you could define now as a movement. It fights child trafficking through the work of various street artists. Today, they've invited trafficking survivors like Rocky to share their testimonies as an introduction to what they're calling a polysensorial exhibit. It's titled Unji, and the goal is to immerse visitors in a one-of-a-kind educational experience on child trafficking using sights, sounds, and even smells. Thibault told me the purpose of their approach.
11: I think we're trying also to surprise people. Yeah. And we're trying to make sure, I mean, uh, sense have a marker, you know, and it's and, and important. We're trying, what are we trying to do with big murals, with big art like this? We want to impress something on people. We want them to get a message. The scent is the, the exact, where's the exact same way? And we want it also to be an exhibition, you know, playful. Not. It's a very serious topic. It's not an easy topic, but we want people through a playful method to be able to approach and understand and get the facts and be able to act. Because as Audrey was saying, the whole point here is making sure that we transform today people from understanding, getting the numbers, and do something about it.
7: So the exhibit walks you through a display of large art pieces, paintings of children, some with texts that say, not for sale, or dreamer, accompanying the portrait of a survivor. You also come across a station of scents, made to capture the atmosphere of a shoe shop or odors of factories, environments that are all too familiar for child laborers. Audrey showed me how they've incorporated technology to enhance visitor experience and interactions. So just walk us through the app that sure. you developed and yes. how does this help us
13: understand the artist? Right. So some of the paintings you see today, actually, they have real walls. So basically, for example, if you do this and you and you do... No, just look at it through the lens of your uh, of your phone, so the app actually recognizes the image yeah, and yeah, tells yeah, yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. it's, what it's looking at. And mm-hmm. then if you look at this, you know, it says Child in Green by Street Artist, Remote and PhD. You even can use the audio here. So and it tells you hear the voice. Us who the artist is. It and tells the title. you about the story. Oh, wow. It's a collaboration based on the child. And, and you can even have it here, if you click on this, you're going to get the audio. And then you have the view about the two artists. Okay. Then you have the stats about the child labor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we have the partner here, today, and then we have the help. So the help allows you to see uh, who to contact, okay. you know, uh, if, you wanna, if you see something, what you can do, like report trafficking, the contacts in New York, you can sign petitions, you can spread the words, you can do selfies in front mm-hmm. of yes. the painting, etc. So. And can users contribute through the app? To yes, they you? can, they How can do donate it says here donate so they can so if You click, you can and you don't need to be in front of the mural to donate no and actually the app button yeah. works all the time okay whether you are in front of a mural or you're not
7: the apps called behind the wall and users can make donations to street art for mankind and hear why the activist artists do what they do we went straight to the source here's victor ash one of 17 artists from different corners of the world Taking a stand against child trafficking through his work today.
14: This is a portrait of uh, inspired by uh, the story of Melanie, who uh, she was forced into prostitution from a very young uh, age. She was uh, walking in the street one day, and then some guys, a gang, took her and forced her into into slavery. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, this, this uh, work is like it's like a pause, it's like an old VHS tape where you, you press pause and then there is a screen like this
7: Movement, here to UN headquarters rounding up artists from France to Mexico to bring life to the stories of some 150 million children fallen victim to trafficking. I'm Natalie Hutchison
1: No outro Our headlines up next with Amanda Machaca.
2: Good morning. In the headlines, the African Union warns Burundi against moves to jeopardize peace efforts after an international arrest warrant was issued for its former president, Pierre Buyoya and 16 other officials. Malawi passes a law that will ban politicians using cash payments and other incentives to buy support ahead of key polls due in May next year. And farewell events for late former U.S. President George H.W. Bush will start this morning with a commemoration in Houston, Texas, where the Bushes lived for many years. I'll have details on these and other stories at 9.
6: Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu.
0: We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country.
9: Hashtag Mama Sisulu
15: Africa.
1: Former City of Cape Town Mayor Patricia DeLille has unveiled the name of her new political party, The Good Movement. The party is set to contest the 2019 elections in all South African provinces. DeLille announced this during a press conference in Johannesburg yesterday.
10: Mbali Tetani reports. Former City of Cape Town Mayor Patricia DeLille has officially announced the name of her political party. DeLille says the new party, titled Good, is set to disrupt politics in South Africa.
16: I have been deeply encouraged by the response and the support that this message of good has prompted in our country. As I said, I wanted good South Africans, men and women, young and experienced of all races to step forward to lead
10: our country. Dilil says good is an alternative that South Africans need.
16: The good movement, we have done our research. We know that there are many South Africans that are looking for an alternative. There are many South Africans who are undecided. And you know, like Nelson Mandela said, you always think it's impossible until it's done. I think South Africans know me by now. I will not give up. And I'm driven by the love for my country. And I believe, sincerely believe, that there are many good South Africans.
10: The law also weighed in on the current process of land expropriation without compensation.
16: Our constitution provides for expropriation of land. Given the significant public land holdings expropriation, land expropriation should be our last resort. There's a duty on all land owners. Land is owned by the state, by the private sector, by churches, by banks, by traditional leaders. All of the land owners in our country should become part of developing that solution that we are seeking for our country,
10: the new political party is set to launch its manifesto next month, Good will also announce its campaign and premier candidates, Ambali Tetani in Houghton in Johannesburg. The
1: increasing death toll of initiates in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province has shocked government and traditional leaders. The number of deaths has risen to seven within a week of the launch of summer initiation season. Ngululego reports.
15: Commercialization of the initiation custom is regarded as one of the contributing factors in the deaths of initiates in the province. There are many people that commercially benefit from it during winter and summer initiation season. Traditional surgeons are touting young boys to come to initiation schools at a price. Car hire companies benefit thousands of friends during this season. Some volunteers get stipends for their job to monitor initiation thresholds. Meanwhile, cooperative governance and traditional affairs, provincial spokesperson in Mamakening Amsas, they are certain about the passing of the servant initiate.
3: The number of deaths of initiate in the province has grown to 7. One uh, or Tambo and uh, another one in the Amatory municipality. Because I would like to send heartfelt condolences to the bereaved families for the loss of their loved ones. Uh, in the same vein, the MEC would like to encourage parents and family members to visit uh, Amabuma 24 Seven to ensure that um, safe passage of the boys uh, is guaranteed, and uh, in cases where there is suspicion of wrongdoing, the NEC encourages members of the SAPS to conduct investigations so that uh, those who are found to have been negligent are brought to book.
15: Over Tambo initiation forum chairperson Chief Mkanisedi to says they are very much concerned about any deaths at the expense of initiation culture. He says those who are alleged to have been implicated in the deaths would face the might of the law. He was 17 years he didn't uh, comply with any legislation together with his parents fortunately for us we have arrested the traditional surgeon on that particular case we have opened a lot of cases this this season. Observed in Ghanul when we were doing the visits there that there is a fraudulent document where a traditional surgeon changed the identity number of the initiates in order to, for them to meet the number the eighteen years but we have discovered that and then we have opened the case these women have lost their loved ones at the initiation school they have advised parents and children to take a leading role in making sure that there is no more debt in the name of culture. We are pleading with our children to ask permission from their parents. They must be 18 years before they go for initiation. They must have signed documents that guarantee them to be circumcised. There must be strong measures taken against those who circumcised initiates under age. They must allow young boys with medication to take it alone. Otherwise, we would still continue to have fatalities in this culture. Kukuleto is a high foundation responsible for the well-being of the initiates that lost their manhood. Believes if everybody played their part, initiation results would be a better passage to manhood. The increasing debt toll of initiates has raised many questions about the significance of spending millions of rent on the safe initiation programs. Some critics say. Commercialization of the custom is the root cause of more deaths. I'm
1: Lesotho's Home Affairs Minister Ntukutuane Au has condemned ethnic clashes at Sondela informal settlement in South Africa's northwest province that are at the center of the killing of 11 people, amongst them Basotho nationals. Fear is still gripping locals, with many having fled the area following the killings during the bloody clashes most were murdered by placing tires around a neck and set alight lucas motivated reports
9: remnants of last week's brutal killings as shot areas are visible where people were placed tires around their necks and set alight sharks have been bent to the ground whereas in other yards victims houses and sharks were vandalized survivors had fled the area where unknown people went on a rampage searching for targets and ambushing people by taking them to an open field where they were burned. The incident sent shockwaves around this overpopulated informal settlement. Here people live in cramped yards with families forced to share as many as nine sharks in a yard. According to locals and survivors, the incident was caused by two opposing groups, Basutu known as Russians and the Cosa clans, who accuse each other of criminal activities here. Speaking at an event of the rise of Basotho in Rustenburg, Minister Au condemned the killings, saying both South Africa and Lesotho must do more to attend to this. We are neighbours. We are neighbours. And uh, as neighbours, uh, we have to see to each that we live together harmonious. And whatever that uh, is making us uh, feel uncomfortable, that's causing conflicts, we just have to uh, 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 address that as quickly as possible. We revisited the affected families who have fled the area. Some of the people who were killed were South Africans and two Mozambican nationals. Neighbors who did not want their names revealed are still in shock.
0: The families have left the
9: area. Some went to Mbumalanga to bury their guy and some went back home in Mozambique.
7: It hurt us because
9: these are the people that we live with. This thing of killing has yeah. left yeah. us yeah. shaking, yeah. because yeah. these are the people that yeah. we yeah. live yeah.
0: with. Yeah.
9: The Basutu national living in Rustenburg have expressed shock at the brutal killings and want South African government to speedily intervene. We are very peaceful Basutu nationals. We can never allow our countrymen to be killed like this. If the South African government does not intervene, I see more attacks as people want
15: revenge.
9: Northwest Premier Job Mokhoro says... His government has deployed all resources to this troubled area. And we issue a warning to all those blood suckers that we are chasing after you. We've already locked up nine of you and we're in the process to lock more. Stop the nonsense. Meanwhile, three of the nine suspects arrested for the killings are expected to make first appearance in court this morning. Others will reappear on Thursday and Friday this week. Lucas Mutibedi, the SABC Sondela in Rustenburg.
1: Tens of thousands of farmers and agricultural workers marched to the Indian Parliament on Friday, demanding debt waivers and higher crop prices, putting pressure on Prime Minister Narendra Modi ahead of a 2019 general elections. More than 300,000 farmers in India have killed themselves in the last 20 years, mainly because of poor irrigation, failed crops and being unable to pay back loans. Nearly 55% of Indians are directly or indirectly dependent on agriculture and the sector accounts for nearly 15% of India's economic output. Rana Sen reports from New Delhi. On Friday, capital
17: Delhi was awash in a sea of colourful flags and the sound of drums as 50,000 farmers marched on the national capital to demand lawmakers discuss their bleak future. The protest was the third since last year. and activist P. Sainath said he saw hope. No struggle or movement happens in one episode or two. I think what is important is that protest is growing across the country. Today, as these farmers march to Parliament, solidarity meetings are being held here. So it's an all India protest that's taking place. The important thing is that the middle classes are reconnecting with the primary classes. Middle classes are talking to farmers and labourers and talking of farmers and labourers. Farmers voted as a body for Modi in 2014, but the fall in rural incomes has changed the mood. Diesel prices surged 26% and fertilizers rose 17% this year and India's most known social activist Medha Patkar said Modi lied to the nation. Well, we are compelled to raise the issues on the streets because the state is absolutely callous towards the issues related to the farmers, laborers and all those who on the natural resources so when the questions are raised in the parliament they just give some answer and in their manifestos of BJP, they have made very very false claims experts such as vijay Dhawan said the government must prop up commodity prices and keep a lid on farmers costs to support the struggling agriculture sector which accounts for 16 percent of india's 2.3 trillion dollar economy new government comes then farmer will fight against that government also. This will continue and now all are uniting and even urban people are supporting this. The farmer is toiling for whole nation and so whole nation should support him. The exploitative system of capital accumulation will not continue. The percolation theory in economics has completely failed and so nation for farmer means all must support their food producers. 45 indebted farmers commit suicides in a day, but Modi's ruling BJP party government refuses to accept the figure in the fear of a backlash that it now rules. For News Break, this is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi.
1: Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoko.
6: Good morning. The Automobile Association of South Africa says it's too early to speculate whether the significant drop in fuel prices is a sign of things to come in the new year. The energy department has announced that from Wednesday, has announced that from Wednesday, a litre of petrol will cost 122 US dollars less, while diesel is going down by about 10.43 US dollars. This comes as a relief to South Africans as fuel price increases over the past year were 22%. A spokesperson, Leighton Bird, has cautioned that South Africans should still spend wisely during the festive season, as fuel hikes it could be a possibility in the new year.
15: Everybody asks, you know, okay, so great, we've got a decrease now, but are we going to see another increase in January? Look, it's really early days. If the trend continues and we keep those levels at where we are at the moment, so in other words, the RAND remains firm against the greenback, international petroleum prices remain low, then I think it could be even better news going into January in the sense of we're not going to have another increase. We could see a very small decrease then as well. Again, though, it's very speculative right now. We have to wait and see what happens going into the new year.
6: South Africa's power utility, Eskom, says a Stage 2 load shedding will continue on Monday as the power utility battles with local reserves and breakdowns at various power stations across the country. Eskom says bad maintenance at its power stations has resulted in a number of generating units being out of service. The utility is also battling to find coal supplies after the previous contracts ended. Eskom Deputy Spokesperson Digazomotai says load shedding is expected to continue well into the new year.
16: The main issues really are that our power stations are not operating optimally. We are seeing quite a lot of breakdowns there. And the other issue, although not completely related to the current load shedding, is that our core stock levels are below the minimum required grid code level. We've had difficulties in finding suppliers that will offer us the call at the price that we are able to afford. There is a high risk that we will have to load shed through December. In fact, the system is going to remain constrained at least until March next year, where we will start seeing an improvement as the recovery plan is put in place.
6: Shares have opened higher on Asian and Pacific markets after the United States and China agreed to suspend the imposition of new tariffs in their escalating trade war. The benchmark Nikkei index in Tokyo has risen by nearly 1.5% and there have also been increases in Seoul, Taipei and Sydney. Analysts say the upturn reflects a sense of relief that Presidents Donald Trump and Xi Jinping agreed to continue talking at their meeting on the sidelines of the G20 talks in Argentina. The BBC's Robin Brandt in China says, however, the country's trade dispute with the U.S. is far from over.
17: There's no way, no conceivable way really that China is suddenly going to concede on these big structural issues made in China 2025, this industrial policy it pursues. Uh, market access, intellectual property and uh, allegations, lengthy allegations, repeated allegations of the theft of intellectual property from American companies. Perhaps the key thing that China can offer at the end of this 90-day period is market access. But look, three months is not a lot of time. And I think there is a sense really that this is a ceasefire and they're preparing for further escalations. Three months down the line
10: South Africa the event is called I can be campaign and uh, the event is in so in partnership with social development
6: the west africa tax administrative forum has expressed gratitude to the liberia revenue authority for providing a technical assistance to the sub-regional body lra commissioner general thomas Donar recently nominated Mr. james Sekarkekula, commissioner of internal audit and wellington jar manager for strategic partnership in a two-week technical assistance mission to the wataf secretariat in nigeria WATAF Executive Secretary requested the technical assistance from the LRA to develop policies, procedures, and strategic documents that the WATAF Secretariat needs to effectively operate. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.30 Botswana Pula, 11.95 for Zambian Guacha. in BRICS currencies. The U.S. dollar is trading at 3.86 Brazilian Roll, at 67.1 Russian Ruble. And at 6954 Indian rupee. 695 Chinese yuan $13.82 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 78 pence to the British pound, 87 cents to the Euro. Gold is trading at $1,224. Platinum, $809 $1 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $62.33 a barrel. It's Channel Africa.
1: Our sports update up next with Figure
0: First up in our sports update, we begin with football news. South Africa have emerged as the main candidates to host the first 24-team African Cup of Nations tournament in June next year after the Confederation of African Football stripped Cameroon of its rights to host this tourney. Kev cited delays and lack of preparedness for Cameroon in hosting this big event as a reason for taking it away from them. They have since invited bids from interested countries and will make a decision by the end of this month. Speaking after the South African Football Association annual general meeting, President Dane revealed that Kev has asked them to seriously consider hosting this event and the SAFA Congress has approved that bid pending the response and support of the government.
14: A decision was taken, one, that uh, we should express our interests subject to, one, the development of a business case, uh, and two, we should then engage the government to see government's uh, approval and support for that initiative. You see, f- uh, the CAF uh, executive said that the country that must host 2013 must offer a plug-and-play option because shortness of time, and therefore, uh, if you look around, uh, they can certainly just bring their computers and plug it in and start playing in South Africa. We have ten World Cup stadiums. Uh, those stadiums has got all the broadcast and media infrastructure, uh, and that's why we could host the uh, Paraguay. Here. We could host Nigeria at FNB. We could host uh barcelona and the barcelona media requirements
0: uh, are huge 10 netball news the south african national netball team spa proteas were crowned the 2018 diamond challenge champions they won all their matches wrapping up the week-long tournament with 73-44 victory over zimbabwe on the final day at the ngwako ramotori indoor sports complex in south africa's Limpopo province proteas head coach noma plama is happy with a strong finish
13: The fact that we've been continuously working on new strategies to put out on court... you know, I think we've really finished off with it today. I'm really pleased. I want the um, captain and vice captain to be able to identify when things need to be changed up. And we did that today, worked on a sag back, shut Zimbabwe right down across that transverse line. And I was struggling to get the ball through. It gave us so many turnovers where I was really pleased.
0: Plama emphasized the importance of watching the South African president's 12. Compete at the tournament.
13: The whole idea of having the President's 12 is to be able to feed up and, uh, you know, after world champs, you could have some players retire, so you need to be feeding up all the time.
0: Finally, golf news, Kurt Katyama of the United States won his maiden Asian tour title after cutting a final round for under par 68 at the Afrasia Bank Mauritius Open on Sunday. A 25-year-old Kitayama went into the fourth round with a share of the lead. He has never been in a similar position on the agent tour this season, but he showed no sign of nerves, establishing the pace early in the day by making birdie-eagle birdie from holes two to four at the four seasons golf club Mauritius at Anahita. With that, Kitayama went into the outright lead and held it for the rest of the day. Kitayama earned a winner's check of $179,000 and moved into the top 10 of the agent tour habitat for humanity standings that's your spot news this hour africa rise and shine africa Zulka. Africa, Amica, Na Unai.
1: Recapping our top stories, on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa Burundi issues arrest warrant for the country's former president, Pierre Buyoya, And South Africa's president, Sil Ramaphosa, hails a G20 meeting held in Argentina. That wraps up Africa rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagaza and Komutu Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 11925 kHz on the 25-meter band to West Africa is Donald with a track titled Raindrops.